especially since AI is such a sexy term, it's overused in marketing formats, like marketing companies and tools where it's not really AI. It's just, it's just highly complex logic trees like that are really big. Um, but still, it's, uh, it's so interesting because the opportunities are, are exponentially growing where things that would take us a team of 20 people before can be done with nobody now, with just like setting up a few logic chains. And we see that in so many different areas. It's a huge part of what we do. And it's also why we haven't had to have a large team is because even though the scope and the complexity of the work that we're doing is, is, is rapidly evolving, um, we don't need more people to do it. In fact, we haven't had the same, we've had a couple people from our old guard of the team, but we've had new people coming in, but the onboarding to that information is nowhere near as difficult as it was. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, where we feature behind the scenes conversations with fascinating business owners, founders, CEOs, investors, authors, and a whole lot more incredible people. Today, we chat with Jordan Bell, the founder and CEO of Agency Bell, the premier AI-driven digital advertising agency for law firms. We discuss in this conversation lots of things. We discuss the origins of Jordan's business and how he's scaling it, how he got his first clients, that whole journey. We discuss the under-exploiting cutting edge of digital marketing that Jordan is exploring, exploiting today. Uh, we discuss how he got a Fortune 100 client right off the bat, really impressive. We discuss the impact of being a musician on his career. We discuss managing ADHD and as always, a whole lot more. I'm going to do a quick word from our sponsor and then we will get this party started. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Jordan, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I think we're going to cover a lot of really good content today. Thank you. I want to start kind of more at the present with your current business, and then we can maybe fill in some gaps in your history later on if, if we feel necessary. But tell us the origins of your you know, PPC agency, why you started it, how you started it, getting your first customers, and uh, a little bit bring us up to speed on what y'all do today. We'll let everything else yeah. be related to that as it happens. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so I uh, I started my agency out of... Well, it's kind of funny. I was pitching a Fortune 100 company as a dude with a Gmail address next to a local, um, I was in the oil and gas market uh, next to some local um, uh, Houston ad agencies and marketing agencies that had a lot of clout in the area. And uh, to, to cut that part short is I got, I got the, uh, the account and did a great job with it. Um, but I, I was thinking a lot about the process where the people who are the decision makers were like, this dude has got like a Gmail address and it's not really like, it's just somebody that one of our employees knows of our managers, but we've got these two local agencies that we've known for years and we know them, we know their work. So why would we want to hire this guy? Well, at the end of the day, my, the strategy and my approach was sufficient to close that account. And uh, we were with them for, you know, a good six months and we did, we did a, a key project. It was great. And, and there were a couple of things that came from that one, 
uh, I knew that despite what I what I believed to be was my expertise that I could win in any pitch if given an opportunity, enough information, and the uh, and able to ask enough questions. The other part about it was that I recognized by working with that uh, Fortune 100 company that there was a significant lack of uh, data transparency available through the work. And so we barely had the kind of metrics we wanted to see to know if it was actually financially impactful. It was actually, it was a, a financial product, just to, just to dive in a little bit. The campaign was for a financial product. And that financial product was confusing, even to the people who would be buying it, like figuring out what kind of financial product it was in the oil and gas. It was, um, um, I wouldn't say, I don't know the, the terms, well, something like in a derivatives or whatever market, but um, it was a specific product based on prices of, uh, of oil barrels. And in breaking it down into marketing copy that was easy to understand, where even the target audience would know exactly what it was and why this was a good solution, even from the, the known name in the, one of the known names in the oil and gas market. But trying to, to piece that together and know if the leads that were generated actually converted into sales was a really nebulous journey. I did find out that they made a great ROI on that campaign, but it took a lot of effort of following up with, with sales leaders and they weren't even sure. They were like, I think it maybe did. I think maybe we had a, a sale or two. And then I found out that they had a good few very high ticket sales from it over the course of this campaign. There were tens of thousands of dollars spent. So what that told me is that there's a huge disconnect between marketing and advertising and sales. And this happens internally as well. Companies with large amounts of money that are throwing dollars at the wall and they don't have a, a really clean and clear connection to what the ROI is and the impact. So that, that the next like five years after that, I mean, I did start the agency. I, I may have been a freelancer consultant who, who turned into an agency with a website, but it got a lot more legitimate over time. You know, I started the LLC, I hired a couple contractors. You know, eventually we got up to around 15 employees or so. And we keep around that, that size now, it's pretty lean. But I set out on this journey to try to connect um, adver actual advertising dollars spent and all the data that's associated with that, like leads that are generated and, and of course, just the, you know, the clicks and what and conversions and whatnot into being absolutely sure we knew, not, not kind of sure, absolutely sure we knew that this number, this amount of spend and this number of leads led to X number of sales at the end. And this was the value of it. And everything after that was a, was a difficult battle of trying to build the science around that and actually make it viable for different kinds of companies with all sorts of different sales and marketing CRMs. We did reach the milestone where we could do it regardless of what CRM they had. Um, we were able to achieve that goal. And it was a fun, difficult journey, a lot of sleepless nights, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of our origin story there. Yeah, there's so much we can dive into kind of throughout this conversation. There's just even one sentence you said at the beginning, you're like, I'm confident that given the time to explain myself and learn about the customer, I can win the pitch. So really like that attitude. Where did you develop your skills and expertise in digital marketing and all of these kind of related technologies? Like at what point did you, what did it take for you to feel like you were an expert who just could walk into any Fortune 100 company, understand what they do and convince them to work with you? Yeah. Um, so originally when I went to college, I was a, a music business major and I did a, did a business degree while I was there. It was like a music degree, did a classical training, but it was also like in the recording studio all the time and doing the it was like in the early days of the music business studies programs, very early 2000s. Uh, and so when I was there, I realized I also just really loved the craft of business. And so I maxed out all my credits uh, and, and uh, I barely had to like take community college courses to get my business degree. So when I, uh, and I was in upstate New York at the time. 
So when I was done with, uh, was done with undergrad, I, um, I started to work in the music industry. I drove out, drove a van, uh, drove a van out to California, um, just started applying for jobs. And, um, and eventually I found my way to a music, a music publishing company. So they did like Michael Jackson songbooks and then like, uh, marching band music, stuff like that. Um, made a lot of, you know, great friends and contacts and, uh, mentors there and whatnot. But what I also learned there was that I loved marketing and digital marketing, right? And, but I didn't feel that I needed to work in music. So within a couple of years after I found my way from like a, a support role, like a tech support slash like marketing administrator, sent a few email campaigns, uh, um, learned, was learning HTML at night because I was like, oh, I could do these a little faster and better if I learn a little bit of coding. You know, I like to find find like the the building blocks of things, right? Um, and musicians know this too. It's like everything is like it's another language. It's a building block for for that. So when I discovered that I really liked building those kinds of things, like cr- using HTML to build emails instead of like the front end developers that were editors that were there. Today, you don't need quite as as much of it. You know, you can get into like a a Mailchimp or a, a HubSpot email or a Constant Contact and do most of your work without HTML, but if you use the front end editors back then, it was like everything was breaking all over the place and it looked like a, a poorly styled website. So that was really kind of my start. I was digging in at night. I was working during the day, digging in at, digging in at night and just like studying and practicing from like old HTML books. I mean, even those, they were kind of dated at the, even for the, t- for the time, but it got the job done. And that was sort of like the, the bug for me of like breaking what was in front of us and uh, breaking what was in front of me and building something that was better with tools that other very smart people made already, just finding better ways operationally to do it. Well, in the next company, um, we uh, they they were actually passing PDFs back and forth to do email their email um, campaigns. And it was funny is that like we weren't allowed to use anything like InDesign, which we did for our direct mail campaigns uh, and catalogs, and we weren't allowed to use any HTML editors. So we were literally like printing out sheets of paper. And this is like, you know, towards like 2010 uh, and, uh, and that was, uh, or somewhere, somewhere close. Yeah, no, it was uh, two th- oh, no, early 2010 range, excuse me. And, uh, and so the technology was there and is available, but it's a large company, like 500 people, marketing department of 50 people. And we're walking PDF, we're walking printed PDFs back and forth, marking up things for, for coders. And I'm like, we could do stuff three times as fast. All we got to do is give all the marketers some HTML software like Dreamweaver and that, ooh, and I was, I pissed a lot of people off that day. Um, what happened ultimately was that we increased our productivity by like triple across the entire department. And I got scolded. Uh, and then, um, and then I was told I wasn't allowed to get a promotion later. It was a weird thing. I think it was, I didn't play well with politics. So that was kind of when I knew that, uh, that I probably shouldn't be working for somebody else long-term um, because I wanted to break the rules to achieve a better result. And that's, I think that's a lot of people's entrepreneurship story. Right. Um, so from there, I just, I, I got the, I got the, uh, the digital marketing bug. And so I, I picked up an advertising client on the side. I thought, oh man, AdWords, I can, I can figure out how to get an ROI from marketing without having to like be told it's just better. Oh, we do good emails. Our open rates are really good. Or, you know, I did PR at the last company. Oh, we got a lot of impressions, you know, like those are hard metrics to know if you're making a real difference. Um, it's hard to draw those, those, uh, those attribution connections. So I started getting a little into advertising on the side. Did horribly. Um, you know, uh, it was like a, I think it was like a lemon law uh, marketing campaign. And I think that people were searching for a dozen lemons and showing the ads. It was ridiculous. It's, it's uh, first accounts are terrible for everybody. 
But after that, um, I went to an advertising company, an ad, uh, an ad tech company, actually. And while I was there, um, I got the chance to help start um, a, an actual ad agency that was based on search and social ads there. And we started working with pro sports teams. And that was cool because there was some clout there. Um, and I was hungry to take anything that I could that would, that would be uh, forward-facing, make a difference. And AdWords, of course, was uh, for many years has been, um, as a couple of decades now, has been really, really the leader in advertising. So learned about, um, you know, doing uh, LA Kings and LA Galaxy um, and Fox, uh, excuse me, Fox Sports um, ads for games where tickets were being sold. And so that was cool. That got straight into, into event sales doing that way. And what really was special about that to me was that there was so much data to be able to show. And I was, I was a math guy growing up, right? So there's so much data that was there so that we could, um, we could actually begin to see not just whether or not we were making a return on investment, but also which individual segments were making the best return on investment. And anyone who's, who listens to this, who, who does advertising knows just how much opportunity is there. And that kind of opened, opened my world up. Later on, we would do lead generation advertising and then actually bring that to ROI very directly. But we got a t- I got a taste of what it was in a place where it was easily trackable before we moved to a place where it wasn't easily trackable in advertising. Yeah, I think there's just a, you know, I think there's archetypes of humans, right? People who naturally gravitate towards certain types of things in the world that make them interesting, right? Like some people, for example, are really drawn to stories and those are the creative people who like want to make movies and TV commercials, et cetera. And then there's other types of brains that just like see the, I mean, it, in one respect, it's the entrepreneur brain, right? This ability to like multiply a dollar, but also it's the people who just love, like st- can just go into statistics forever. And I, that's kind of a lot of why I've been generally in like the marketing type career set and the data career as well as I just, the first time I really got into like a Google ads campaign or somewhere, I'm like, oh, and it, you just like see this. It's just like an infinite, I think of it kind of as like a hyper, hyper stimulation in the sense of in like the previous world to like experiment with yeah. something on like a perceived grand scale required like a, a large laboratory, right? And like mm-hmm. big equipments. And it's like, what happened? Like the previous example is almost like the chemist. Like, like what would happen if we combine this and this or be like turned this way up? It's like, you just need a lot of raw materials. But with things like programming yeah. or things with like digital ad spend and like instantaneous ad spend as well in like the modern age. Because again, putting out newspaper ads and then waiting a couple of weeks to see like attribution is a lot more complicated. But in this day and age, it's just yeah. like you are the the creator of this like micro universe and you can just like perceive cause and effect in such yeah. dramatic ways so quickly and instantaneously that just for a certain type of brain it's so addictive mm-hmm. absolutely um it, what's especially we're we're well into the age of of low code and no code automation and and actually software creation now too which is getting really cool uh and and automation is becoming such a big part of that and but especially as it pertains to data, you know, I, I am, I'm listening to um, like data scientists and people are getting into machine learning on like LinkedIn groups right now. And the, 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 the velocity at which they're sharing like massive amounts of like, like almost like I kind of wonder if there's copyright infringement going on, but like there's, they're sharing like these large texts of very dense material that you'd expect to like have to pay a lot for. And maybe it, maybe it's, maybe it's like the people who made it is open source. And I wouldn't, it's, it, it's not that I say that's a little weird. I used to work for a publishing company, but, but, um, but the way that they're sharing it is like they're scientists trying to save the world. It's really interesting. Um, I've never seen another industry where, and this is multiple groups. They're like, they're providing like free courses to each other, um, that like they've made, or they're like, Hey, I want to really, I want to like share this. What, what do you guys think? But they're like, they're not talking about it. Like they're trying to sell stuff. 
But my point about it is, is that there's, there's an area of machine learning and AI that's, 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 that's coming out. And I was reading in one, one uh, book about this, where um, that the speed at which jobs and opportunities are being created for machine learning is pacing way faster than the amount of talent that is like ready, ready for it. Especially since AI is such a sexy term, it's overused in marketing formats, like marketing companies and tools where it's not really AI. It's just, it's just highly complex logic trees like that are really big. Um, but still it's, uh, it's so interesting because the opportunities are, are exponentially growing where things that would take us a team of 20 people before can be done with nobody now with just like setting up a few logic chains. And we see that in so many different areas. It's a huge part of what we do. And it's also why we haven't had to have a large team is because even though the scope and the complexity of the work that we're doing is enhanced, is, is rapidly evolving, um, we don't need more people to do it. In fact, we haven't had the same, we've had a couple people from our old guard of the team, but we've had new people coming in, but the onboarding to that information is nowhere near as difficult as it was. It does take a certain type of professional who's like kind of ready to absorb a lot of information strategically. And we'll get, I think we'll get a chance to talk about like strategy behind that. Um, my hope, my hope anyway, it's a cool topic. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. It's, um, it's, it's fascinating how, um, the mainframe computer turning into like the little microchip size thing is just happening over and over again with, um, with everything. Yeah. They, I don't know if you've ever heard of MakerPad. Uh, it's a website that's kind of like a curation dictionary for the low code, no code space. And the guy who mm -hmm. created that, I don't know if he exited or he's just like exited the day-to-day -day operations of CEO. He's created a just coolest things I found in AI daily newsletter. That's just like unbelievable. It's like every, like mm -hmm. every week, I feel like he started like 14 weeks ago. And like the stuff from like this week makes like week one look kind of silly. It's like that kind of oh, pace yeah. in terms of. Yeah. Saw, going. Yeah. The, uh, the no code cheat sheet, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. I, uh, I have a couple things on my team that I, that I really like to do. One is that everybody should be able to run an autom automations with like low code or no code, you know, probably no code, but at least being exposed to code. Right. And then second is everybody should be able to run or sequential, or sequential thinking at minimum. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Like, yeah. It, you know, uh, paths, if, if a, then go to B, if C, then go to D, you know, those, those types of things. Yeah. It's uh because it's, and it, it's, it's cool because it show it also shows the lot it shows up in our work too you don't have to have automation in your work to benefit from the skills that are developed either in learning it or that that are required for being good at it in that very logic driven approach i'm a logician in a way if I, my myers breaks goes down that road so um so i of course i'd be likely to set up a company that operates that way but but yeah it's it's incredible good good feedback here i'm going to definitely check out the site and i can yeah, remind you again at the end i'll pull it up a tab and i'll remember to be like oh why do i have this open I love listening to you guys talk about this. I know this is what what Lewis really thinks a lot about and loves. So it's it's fun to listen to you guys jam on it. Um, you know, I'm not from the the field, so I'm not going to have as much to add. I I knew this is going to be a Lewis heavy episode. Um, come on, man, have a name tag. Let's see, we'll teach you. <laughs> yeah, one thing that you said earlier um, about after work, you go home and start reading an HTML book. I think, uh, and and one thing that you mentioned earlier on is that you're a musician. And this is something that I've noticed in the podcast is just the people who are musicians or learn an instrument early on have this capacity to focus and to be like fully zoned in on one thing that leads to these incredible results. Like one of the guys, Boone, he was a, a, a bodybuilder and now he's 
like really deep in crypto, but the thing about him is just like this unbelievable capacity to focus. And it mm. sounds like that's something that that you have as well. So do, do you think that there is a, do you think it's a direct correlation between music and this? Like it's something that you learn from music or do you think that people who are wired like that, you know, just gravitate towards something like music? Yeah, that's such an interesting topic. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, pretty open about it. I'm a, I'm a, hyperfixation ADHD dude. And, uh, and I, and I got, I was so grateful to kind of get my diagnosis a couple of years ago. Um, it, during COVID things got really hard, right? My, um, I, you know, I got married, my wife was, uh, uh, pregnant with fiance at the time. And, um, so our, our wedding got delayed with COVID and then, but it was an awesome wedding with our baby in it. It was so cool. But what was, um, but what was difficult was that I was, the business was, um, the business came home right? It became an expensive storage unit. And then our team went national and actually worldwide. It, but it became very difficult to focus at home. One, because of a, a screaming child and four animals in the house, uh, including a very uh, a very small dog who, who yapped a lot and another dog who was big voice whenever someone came to the door. So focusing inside of the house was, was incredibly difficult. And then also, um, also the fact that uh, it was, you know, home was, home was also work at that point. And it was very easy to, to go straight in to 80, 90 hours a week. It was like seven days a week, like, you know, dawn till dusk at times. And, um, and I, I do think there's a, a big correlation with music. I think there's a couple of areas of this. One, because you're, it's, it's proven to like build those, those uh, neural pathways early on. So there's studies about how music, people who learn music early on, they're, they're developing cognitive skills. There's multiple ways to do it. Obviously, um, music is especially like learning in classical music structured uh, structured, uh, instrumentation, music, the, the mechanical elements of it. I was a drummer. So my base musical development happened a little bit later, even though it was still, uh, my sense, my sense of like efficiency, I think comes a little bit from like the, from the, from the, from the patterns that you do also the ambidextrous element as a drum set player, um, those or and, um, so I actually became like probably significantly better at piano, like after music school, like even just this past year from really beginning to like we have go through learning stages of this stuff. Right. But it's, um, and it's funny thing too, is if you would notice how I move through my topics a little bit kind of fluidly, I'm a very like stream of thought person. Right. So it's just sometimes not really helpful for, uh, uh, for, for training teams, but the focus. So even though I struggle with focus in some ways, um, because of it, um, being at home, ADHD, entrepreneur, ambitious goals, I also hyperfixate. And so I don't know, I don't know the stats around like musicians, entrepreneurs, um, ADHD, that kind of stuff. Um, but I know that it's a common, especially visionaries, it's a very common uh, trait and it can be their superpower and it could be their kryptonite depending on what mode they're in and what, um, uh, under my, I do, I just did a recent Enneagram and I come up very strong under a reformer. And so I'm very like, um, even there was another one where I was very regimented, but also like wanting to do the right thing screw the money, like, let's do it the right way. Um, but that, but a, a, this like pursuit of trying to do that the right way in a very difficult market and a very cha challenge that people haven't solved before you, you do need a level of focus, right? Um, you do need to go into deep work. That's a big topic I, I learned into last year, a lot more. And because of that, the, the focus breakers become, um, one of your greatest obstacles. If you have them, especially for, you know, screaming child at home, you know, he's a very active child, like mom and dad. So that was always, that was fun. Um, co the COVID, the COVID work from home thing is, is real too. I mean, I, I have to throw that in there.
Yeah, I'm thinking uh, when you talked about focus breakers, right? I'm thinking just distractions generally. Like, you know, now everyone just uses like a Chrome extension or some software that just like turns those off during set hours today. Uh, but there's not like a Chrome extension for uh, for a newborn baby or uh, <laughs> no, or, a or, or hyperfixation a extension for that yet. Yeah, yeah, like I wake up and I it just starts, you know, and I and it doesn't stop till I go to bed. Like the, um, I mean, not baby, baby's getting pretty cool now, but thinking about um, something work related or or that's um, that's just fascinating that I'm they're really interested in. I just I I get fixated on that topic and I start running through almost like sometimes it's like a chess game or or engineering something. You're putting something together, finding pathways for things. Right? It's like it's it's like you it's like materializing in front of you and. I think a nature of the work kind of activates that. It was significantly less than it used to be, but the nature of the work where it required building things that were machine parts that hadn't really been built before to get to a later objective, which is sort of a nature of the work. Um, we didn't even talk about, I didn't talk about the machine learning element of our current business, but the but that part of it going, I'll talk about how it goes. We optimize to the actual sale, yeah. not to the lead. But in general, that I think, starts to um, accelerate and catalyze something that I think was already there from, you know, being a musician and and uh, whatever else in my childhood made me the way I am. Yeah, all podcasts, uh, if they're done right, kind of half get into, it's like a half therapy session, half, yeah, like half therapy, but half also you're teaching us. It's just like a whole, oh yeah, so much happened. Shit, man, very let's dynamic. unpack some trauma, right? You ready? Kyle, you ready? <laughs> exactly. <What happened? laughs> Would it be the first time on air uh yeah we had a, we have a part two with this guy andy johns who was basically had this really decorated career in growth at a bunch of different silicon valley companies so he was like early at facebook early at twitter early at quora and like five others and then like invested in like four unicorns and basically at like 40 uh he just like was like i'm throwing this all away and spending the next decade in therapy and that's like mm -hmm. a clickbait headline like he has more nuance than i just gave him credit for but so we had him on to do like but he's still like doesn't mind talking about growth at all. Like he still like gets hyper excited to talk, like nerd out on like, this is my business. How would you growth hack it? And he just like will yeah. nerd out on that. But then also whole geek out hard on like esoteric therapies he's doing like ear mm -hmm. acupuncture that makes you ball because it breaks your emotions like mm -hmm. at the body level. So we, we go yeah. all over the place, but hopefully it's a good time mm -hmm. for, for the listeners. I, I want to dive into the strategy and kind of the cutting edge a question i had earlier that i didn't get to ask was like okay so you know early in your career html was kind of the fringe skill set that helped set you apart in this way and my kind of hypothesis is that your belief is like ai machine learning is the equivalence today so what is it that you are doing in that respect that's kind of the unfair advantage on the frontier uh that's really interesting and valuable yeah um i have to show up a learner um a humble learner at every point, you know, um, I, when I, I did this, um, I went and filmed a show a couple months ago, um, but it was a week long entrepreneur competition. I was a fortunate to be a judge on that. Um, and it kind of touched on my experiences like a, as a, um, a trainer in digital, in digital tech and marketing. And so, um, I'll, uh, maybe get a chance to talk about that soon, but the, um, but the, the area of, um, uh, how AI and machine learning, um, and I, I kind of use it, I, but people talk about it as the like AI. I kind of look at it as like the science of machine learning is kind of where how I how I usually talk uh, phrase it, and um, it it plays off of off of something that Google and Facebook have been doing for a long time with their advertising, um, which is 
saying that like, hey, like we will automatically um, help you find your best customers. Just tell us what page to go to and what your topics are, and then write a few things about your business. And that's kind of like the message that, that where they make a lot of their money, but there's a massive science behind in the a, a data-driven science in the advertising world um, that not a lot of people who start down the road of advertising uh, know. I mean, the creative, absolutely. Uh, you know, copywriting, consumer psychology, you know, uh, and uh, buyer behaviors and things like that are, are a key element of all this. But the data, with there's so many data points um, I mean, thousands of different data points that you can get in the hundreds of different like metrics that you can measure. Um, you can also segment those, those numbers, those performance numbers, volume and percent of people who did it, did, did something. You can also segment those by things like what device were they on and male, female, um, what keyword did they type in, things like that. And what, but still in the, in the gener lead generation space, we started working with service businesses, right? Originally law. Law firms would be a good example, but any business that has leads that convert into sales, you know, insurance, cars, stuff like that, um, is uh, there was there was this there was this um, separation, right? Like I mentioned it before, like they didn't, you know, generate a certain number of clicks and leads, but how much in sales? And there's this interesting thing that was going on in the market for so long, where a marketing agency would say or a marketer would say, "Ah, oh, I got you the cheapest lead around," but it doesn't matter how cheap that lead is. If you call a hundred of them and you don't sign more than zero or one, and that actually becomes a burden operationally for a sales team that could spend their time trying to reach or a service professional who's trying to keep, keep the, the sign on their door, you know, and feed their family so that they can actually close good leads and sign people with their services. Um, and so that disconnect is still today really huge in the industry. It becomes all about getting the cheapest possible lead. And so the, so the um, agencies and marketers kind of get a bad rap and I'll make it a controversial statement, rightfully so. There is a lot of junk out there and there's a lot of overpromise, underdeliver, And that's when I was gonna, when I was doing this, I thought we're gonna do it right. Um, it didn't know exactly what that was. It was a lot of tough conversations, talking to companies that with, who were advertising with us and saying, hey, could you send us um, the data on your, on your customers? And they're like, no, 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 you can't have that. Um, that's that's our trade secrets. That's our, that's our private information. I'm like, I don't care about using it against you. I just want to know what's working. So they'll tell you like, um, they'll kind of tell you anecdotally, but I like data. And if you like data and statistics, um, anecdotes don't really play well into strategy, right? You're like, okay, that's one example, but I would need to know the other 99 examples to get even a baseline percentage. And of course, that's not going to happen. And I, I over explain and I geek out on the tech. So I'm actually sometimes have been pretty terrible at being the point of contact for the client because I don't want to make a decision with anecdotal information. Because what happens is if that anecdote is not the exact, doesn't lead you down the exact correct road, that's your story as a marketer. And I didn't want that to tell my story. So eventually we started piecing this together. It was like over years of, it, of, of actually like it took a few years to, to really do this well where we'd start to know, oh, these calls came in. Well, got a list of phone calls from uh, of people who called in through our call tracking software, and we have phone numbers of their customers. Like 80% of the time, the sales team kept the same number. So all of a sudden, we started to have data that we could use. Like, oh, this call, where did this call come from? But you see, that's very like manually stitching things together. And um, in all like the, the machine learning AI kind of software that was, wasn't really wasn't really um, uh, anywhere as prominent at the time, not in like easy to use tech. And even people who were just using spreadsheets weren't connecting the, the tar individual targeting decisions and ads 
all the way to the like a signed contract or retainer, like the the, the client that the that the or the customer that the client signed after receiving our lead, right? Even brands themselves weren't even connecting this information. But there in the background, it's Google Ads going, hey, we can uh, if you put a tracking pixel uh, at the end, like on a thank you page for a uh, for either a lead form or a uh, or an e-commerce sale, right? Like uh, you just bought $150 of product, we can in our system tie it back to all the information about that ad click. You know, the gender, the keyword, the the, the time of day, uh, all of the things that are associated, which page it went to, all that stuff. Um, but lead generation didn't have that. We discovered a way to, um, it's a common tactic. It's just not used to anywhere to its extent. It's called off offline conversion tracking. So there's a little like, you know, like big, big code, like a 96 character code. And as long as you can capture that code, it becomes this like unrecognizable. No one knows how to, no one could decode it to a person, but it's a specific person on a device and a keyword went to a site. It's all of that information is stored in that 96 character thing. And when we capture that and we save it, and then when the clients, um, when the client CRM, they like update the status of a lead there, it sends it. We, we have them send a signal back to us and we say, Hey, now we have the same, we know the same person. Let's teach Google this and send it to Google real time. And that I probably, I like to say it's a simple concept, but it probably doesn't sound that way. But if to show, if I had like a, you know, whiteboard, I would show it's just like bing, bing up and then done. But the science of actually protecting that data pipeline is there's a whole strategy around that. I'm going to build coursework around this eventually, but that became my obsession, how to do that better. Because what happened was pretty special. We would see um, leads sign. It would be like two or three times more expensive than most leads. So we could never get into the lead sales market. Nobody would buy our leads, but they'd be like five or six times more likely to sign because this is where machine learning got power, gets powerful. Um, instead of teaching a system, like the best algorithms in the world, right? Google, right? Um, instead of teaching a system to optimize to people who are typing information on a form with little or no commercial intent at times, right? Um, even in fact, the most spammy leads become the norm because they might be the most likely to fill out a whole bunch of forms. So it actually is, it's a, it's incentivizing the wrong people in a way, right? To, to learn off the wrong people. Instead, it's learning off of the signals that can't be faked which is if it goes all through a sales team or an attorney or an insurance company, and they actually do a signed contract as a, as a paying customer in a way, that's much less hard. That's much more difficult to artificially create. So a machine learning system that's doing its job, again, one of the best in the world, is learning off of, a, of the most uh, commercially optimal signal to, in order to make decisions on how to properly place your ads in the future. And... The truth about it is that in the e-commerce world, the playing field is level because you have a conversion pixel at the end. It learns off of people who reach the thank you page after a purchase. But I, I don't know what the number is, but maybe one in 10,000 lead generation marketers are even are, are doing this to any capacity. And we didn't want to. And so I wanted to master it. That, that, was, that was the key. It was like, I don't care about scaling the agency enough. I want to master it now. And then we'll figure out what to do with it. And so... Last part about the story is that we picked the hardest industry, I think, in the world to do it in, um, maybe because I'm professionally masochistic. I don't know. Um, but it would be like $200, $300 a click. Um, so the likelihood of winning those campaigns, of winning in those environments, like agencies were turning over on these accounts. It was a motor vehicle accident attorneys, which is like the most competitive, the most like spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month 
And most companies don't keep their accounts for very long, their clients for very long, because it's so lawyers are clicking on each other's ads, they're clicking each other out of business left and right, because the a client there is so valuable, right? Because you're dealing with personal damage, a person could die, a, for people in a, a car of four people could, could be horribly uh, injured. And of course, insurance companies don't, they want to pay as little as possible, right? So that's, so that's why getting onto the plaintiff attorney side, I'm not incredibly, you know, I'm not overly passionate about the, uh, the, the world of law. I love the topic, but doing it as an industry, as a, as a starting industry wasn't important because of the industry. It was because if we could do it there, we could do it anywhere. Um, and that's, that's where, that's kind of when we got to that milestone in the whole machine learning world of it, doing it in the place where it's like with SEO, Google wants you to do the things that organically help people the most. In the advertising world, this is what I believe Google wants. But it's I would love to I would love it if, if so many so much more of the industry was on it. But that's what we're working on now is we really want to train the industry in this um, and help elevate and, and bring a, a better name to the advertising world because this I think is this is the way to do it. I think and that's why machine learning is such a key topic today in advertising and I think will be you know for eternity at this point. Yeah, I think you've just, just really painted a. I What's just, that? I just turned that. In, did I just turn that into a long pitch? Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to. I mean, I not necessarily for your services directly. I mean, of course, that's like what happens. It's like this is gonna sure, yeah. for the person who's like that's way too hard for me to do on my own. Of course, right, reach out. Sure. But what I'm hearing is just this massive, unique spot in time we're in because exactly like you said about on the e-commerce side, it's pretty much standard yeah. practice. That's like okay, I'm gonna train Google to spend the most amount of money on the people that look most like the people who ended up purchasing. Yeah. But for I mean, I don't know what the percentage of businesses, but I don't think you're being like hyperbolic when you say it's one in 10,000 for businesses that the final sale does not happen in an online, easy to connect to Google sense. Like none of them are telling Google to buy more people like that original person. That is yeah. like, mm -hmm. I don't know how, how to capitalize the size of that opportunity, but that is just unbelievably big and something I've never even thought about. Because, you know, I've, my experience buying ads is fairly limited. Again, it was like a, online product. It was like buy a subscription to this website or submit an application to this job. And it's like, okay, well now we just want more people who are going to apply to jobs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's just feed that in. That's like very straightforward. But if it's something, even like going into a gym and purchasing, like I feel like most gyms, yeah. right? This would be pretty easy because theoretically a lot of gyms would have yeah. the systems in the back end to like keep track of people and their accounts and everything else. But yeah, that's uh, a huge opportunity is all I can say. It reminds so me if of, you're uh... off of ratings on that, that's going to be very valuable to whoever sits through the trainings and goes through the process to understand that. Go ahead, Kyle. So early on on this podcast, or maybe not early on, I don't know when West KO or what number that was, if you remember, Lewis, but... Uh, between 25 kinda, and 30. She kind of painted this um, spectrum of marketing between like brand marketing and performance marketing. Brand marketing being like Hermes or like uh, Audi in the Iron Man movies, where like it's very difficult to track but obviously it had, it had an impact, but that, that impact is not something that's immediately measurable. Whereas mm -hmm. the furthest other end of, of performance marketing is like, okay, I'm in Facebook ad manager. I spent this amount of money and I know exactly what the return on ad spend is. It sounds to me almost like you are turning brand marketing into, uh, into something where the end customer is trackable, mm. like the, uh, the campaigns are ultimately something that you can measure ROI on. Um, and the, yeah, I mean, I might be missing the, the larger point about 
um, you know, tracking these end customers as like, you know, for a law firm, now they can go and find customers that are like the ones that have paid in the past. But um, to me and my simple marketing understanding, that's what this sounds like. Close, actually. I mean, brand marketing and performance marketing. Well, I mean, I, it's funny. So I don't often think of it that way, but you're making a really, really good point about it is because it, it, there's kind of like there's the data analysis side and then there's the like training the dragon side, right? And Google's the dragon in this case, right? And so you can spend a lot of money and like you're, if you're thinking like the Game of Thrones or like accidentally burn like your own castles and villages and stuff, but it eventually like finds its way around. Um, and so training the dragon is a, is an art and a science and a lot of, and a lot of intuition that's learned over time, right. With doing as little damage as possible and hopefully as good as some of the non-automated work, but still, you still have to be great at advertising, great at, get at like with Google keyword strategy, great copywriting, user experience design. There's so many elements of it that can still make it fail. Um, you can't, you can't outrun a bad strategy. You can't out AI a bad strategy or machine learn your way out of it. Right. And especially for harder markets too. And so people are surprised that there's very subtle differences between things like, should we have a call, uh, a phone call option on the page or not? Even if they have a call center, a decision to not use a, I won't go too into the weeds on this one, but a decision to not allow phone calls um, or to use a chat, uh, a chat box or not versus just a form are very strategic decisions um, because, and they have a significant impact on the outcome of the campaign based on data that is available or the user experience of going through it. And there's, there's a lot of elements of how much do we know about a person by the time we start learning off of those signals and how long does it take for that sales process to happen? So the cadence of, of, of data points in a machine learning system is, is basically it's automation design at that point in machine learning design. And it's, it, we believe we don't see it the same way. It's not like we're watching it unfold in front of us and we're, and we're getting that experiential version of it. There's like this interesting level of, of, of understand as much as possible and then begin to trust the way that it's learning off of data. And so it does require, it, this is where the branding part comes in. I'm going to circle, I promise I'm going to circle it back to that because I'm hyper fixated on, on this key point here. So I'm like machine learning my way all the way around back, back to your journey, right? Uh, back to this point. So, um, so in branding, right, is a, a product placement. So in today's day and age, like we got connected TV, we're signing into devices to watch movies at home, um, TV shows, you know, huluing our way through stuff. Well, um, when there's product, if, if technically, since an episode has a, a, of TV will have product placement in it, right? And since you're signed in on your device and your device has an email address and all sorts of data that I don't, I don't even know like how much data gets shared between the companies, right? A uh, lot of stuff going on there. Technically, it's possible to know that you as an individual saw a show which has, you have unique identifiers that can connect to other ad systems. It's possible for somebody who has access to that, potentially, you're not Kyle Bishop, you're user 1482G exclamation point dash, right? Like plus a bunch of other stuff. And that's, that's actually the real thing is that no one's like Elon Musk's kids. Yeah, exactly. Right. But change, change it, change it by like one digit and you're um, someone in China at that point, right? Like it's, it's completely randomized um, and not really like, can't really back into it. Um, but um, what happens is that technically that data is collected. And if, and if a person knew how to connect that data to other things that happened on your way to a sale, then there's a science for branding too. 
And this does exist already in ways that are more accessible, but it's going to continue to get more advanced. But I think that the, that the world of, of, of marketing strategists is, is not, um, it's not happening. The, the growth of that is kind of like the machine learning uh, folks that I was talking about on LinkedIn channels. Um, I don't think that the, I don't think the knowledge and the, and the strategic understanding is happening fast enough to keep up with the opportunities. So I'll get on with like really big data companies and I'll think like, oh man, I'm small potatoes because I'm about to talk to a company that like, I'm barely going to join, like be available or like be a candidate for like their lowest end package of, of all this data aggregation stuff. And it turns out I get on the calls and they'll bring like a director on, uh, they'll be like, let's talk again. They'll bring a director on or a vice president. And I'll be talking about being small potatoes. And they're like, I, we, we wish our customers talked like this. Because what's happening is that we have access to so much data, but we don't know how to use it. We don't know how to use it. And we can use the information for good. We really can to create much better experiences, but also be so much more effective with our, with our marketing dollars. A company that shouldn't a company be able to know that if, that if an agency is going to come around and say, or a marketer is going to say, hey, you've got to be on, on, on a show 10 to 12 times. You've got to do this by the placement. Or how do I know if a Super Bowl ad is going to be effective? Like, yes, there's a lift in sales, but there's so many more um, granular points that you can, you can, with a statistical significance, predict outcomes or at least assess outcomes after the fact really successfully. When you begin to understand a buyer's journey through it, but not just one buyer, aggregate amounts of, of buyers. And though that's where branding really does have, and uh, performance marketing really can come together. And that's, that's really what I want to be able to do in the future with, with training is, is help, help illuminate those pathways. I won't be able to teach it all. I don't know everything about that, but I want to connect with a lot more people who do and continue to bring those programs to the world because marketing really is, uh, is, is continuously in need of, of not just evolution, um, but also of like the base of users who want to understand it, but don't know how they don't know, they don't know how to think about it. And that's just, so we keep doing the same thing. We keep trying to sell cheap leads. Um, with, and, and saying, oh no, it's your sales team isn't good enough. No, the leads are garbage. Like that whole industry is continuing to tell that story, but it doesn't have to. And that's what, that's, what's exciting about the work. Yeah. I'd think there's for the right person listening to this, you've just uncovered so many various business opportunities that exist. I think, you know, one thing that's really valuable for people to do is to like work for a company that's cutting edge in one respect, but then realize how archaic they are in like other respects. So I've worked for like yeah. a humongous automotive company. I don't know if that's too identifying or not, but I've like worked for like large companies and been like everything here is like, you know, this is something that Kyle talks about all the time is there are companies that have staff of hundreds of people who essentially their an entire job is to like run one Excel macro and say good number, mm -hmm. bad number and tell someone else yeah. like that whole thing. And, you know, I still think that even in 2022, like some tech trends are just so slow to adopt that. Like in 2022, you could still probably spin up like a basic web design business. Like all you do is just mm -hmm. like find companies that make money yeah. and have bad websites. Like this is like, you know, th like the business model of like just literally making websites for people is probably yeah. still a good business model because like technology changes are so, take so long and all kind of like the CRM, like intelligent yeah. sales software or intelligent sales systems. It's just like, even uh, for myself and some things that I'm doing, it's just like, it took me a while and I'm technically savvy and I just graduated college and I'm very aware of like the low code ecosystem. And it took me a while to realize like, Oh, you know, like my, my outbound research might be more effective if I like could sort my leads based on who's opened the most emails, right? That's not yeah. high tech. That's not like, did they see, yeah. did they watch this episode of Seinfeld or not? It's like, there's like no cutting edge. It's just like, I'm just connecting like one API and it like blows my yeah. mind. And so it's like the amount of companies that 
don't have a single person technically skilled or don't have anyone who's like in the same internet circles I'm in. It's just like an infinite sea of people. And there's just at the different layers of uh, sophistication. But there's so much opportunity for people in the the marketing tech space, really, uh, to help people get up to speed on what's coming. And you don't even have to be at the very cutting edge. Uh, but I think what you're doing is just fascinating. Thank you. Um, and I, I definitely, um, I can definitely appreciate and empathize kind of what you're talking about there. It's, um, you know, I have this in, uh, I have this kind of thing in other certain areas of it, right? Like in the software development side, like I'm still like, I don't, I don't code, but I have to know enough about things. And I'm still really early on about figuring that out. We're just getting onto Google cloud now with some of our, you know, we're still working in lead sheet and like uh, spreadsheets and certain things. Um, even though we were operating, like we were working in like sophisticated data warehouses. So we're going now, going that direction. What I think is really critical is that, um, there is this side of like the, the discussions around it and the, uh, and the concepts and like what we can do. And then there's like the actual, what I call swinging the hammer, right? Like you're like, can you, can you pick up the hammer and make a sword? Right. And that, and the, and the doing that, but also taking a step back and try and thinking about how it works such that something that is similar, different problem, but similar way of solving it um, becomes clear. You say, oh, I solved this kind of problem. Sometimes it's the same function. Sometimes it's not the same department or function at all, but it's, but you use the same logical process and, and kinds of tools to solve a completely automation is a big one to solve something in a completely different role. And, and I think that that is one of the most, those kinds of like critical thinking um, pattern recognition um, logic, decision-making skills are some of the most valuable the lateral right now. Too. Yeah, 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 exactly. To, um, to be able to solve the problems out there. And also, I mean, look, this is, it's a, the competitive landscape for, for remote work has changed significantly. You know, um, now, uh, companies are choosing to outsource a lot of their work because a person that makes, um, the equivalent of a fifth of one of their U S employees and is, but is makes a good living doing it. Um, can do the same kind of work. So all of a sudden, the the um, the type of talent and what talent needs to do in order to be competitive is different. And I think that is actually, um, it's what I used to teach about in digital marketing courses. There'd be creative and analytical, but then there's strategic, knowing how to think about how to apply the tools around you, how to choose the right tools, how to utilize them. Forget it, like, you know, a Wix site is a Wix site. For so some people, it's a, oh gosh, a Wix site. For some people, it's a wonderful decision and they can do great work with it. I was coaching someone the other night just like that. I was like, I was like, that was the smartest decision. And she was like, everyone said I should be on WordPress. I'm like, no, no, no. That was the smart decision because you have all your tools in front of you. And it's for what you need. It is actually a far better uh, a selection of tools. And maybe you'll run into a little difficulty. Well, that's what Zapier is for, right? That's what automation tools are for. Yeah. So it's recognizing where you are and how to, and what kind of tool to select or what kind of thing to learn can open up your world significantly. It's like, it's like I'm raising a son, right? So I was, I was given a get really great piece of advice once and it, it kind of makes me think a lot about, about in other areas of life is they said, um, they said, keep their world small, just big enough that they get a real sense of wonder what's around them and are safe, but explorers. And then when they're, when that space is enough, make it a little bigger, not huge, make it just a little bit bigger. Don't confine them. Give them a chance to be an explorer. That's what a child does. They want to learn everything. Um, and that has been like rolling around my brain for the last year in different ways because it's, it's, a, really, it's a really great concept for, I think, for, um, for what we're talking about today, like just constant expansion, but what stuff we're ready for. When we try to go too fast, we get frustrated. 
like my accounting software. I was banging my head against the wall because I was trying to pick up, learn too many things too fast with it. When I'm doing significantly less advanced work there, but way more advanced work in, in the our craft. So love, love your point though. Yeah. I think there's so much really interesting things you, you've said there. I think one example that came to mind to me about just like learning from other departments within the same organization, for example, like, I don't know how much you're on Twitter, but they're like boys, boys, uh, there are people on Twitter, like think boys on Twitter that are like getting crazy popular that are like, you should run your business with SOPs, like write out a document, put every process in order. And like, that's mm-hmm. going to change the game from you. It's like, they're like acting like this is insightful. And it, it is because like a lot of people don't do this and it's yeah. extremely helpful when you do it. And it's like, but to everyone who's like ever worked in any like manual labor factory job where they like assembled something like that's just yeah. like, duh, it's just something that's just obvious in one domain. And I yeah. think as well, some point you made earlier, and I think this is a struggle for, again, the type of brain that we're talking about that a lot of this resonates with is, you know, you get excited about the frontier of the technology when the person that you're communicating with just has like a very straightforward problem. It's like, yeah. this person just needs like a simple website. They need someone to be able to type in a URL, see what their business is and send them an email if they're questioned. But you're like, did you know that if you use Webflow, but then use this and use this and use this, that like you could do all these things. So like, I just need someone to be able to find me on the internet. Yeah, like, shut up and, so and it's, take it's my difficult money. For a lot right? of, like, exactly. It's like, I was sold when you told me someone could find me on the internet. And now it's yeah. like, you've lost me with like getting all excited. So I think that's like kind of the... The other side is like understanding who you're dealing with and what what is actually useful to them. Yeah. Instead and of I like, want to be like, interesting hey, to you. come on into the room. Like I'm a musician, right? And so like I was uh, even like my my fraternity in college was like a music fraternity, right? And it was, and, you know, we were still pretty cool. We were nerdy and cool, right? And so, but our whole thing was like everyone's a musician. If you if you hit a tambourine, you're a musician in that moment, right? Like there's no elitist club. I think great musicians and, and like like really grounded musicians believe that everyone is welcome at the table. And I think that that should be the case here because, you know, people really struggle. They, like I was, I was talking, so I, I work with a professional coach and a personal coach, right. As like a, you know, just to kind of like, you know, keep, keep everything, you know, strong, rogue, you know, like just be at my best. And there was a, and I, you know, through the, I was talking about this stuff, how I want to bring this, bring education to the world this way and help business owners who are struggling, like they want to do their craft but they're struggling in the administration and which tech do I use and what tool? And it's not what they, what they set out to do. It's not what they thought entrepreneurship would be, you know? And the, my coach was like, Jordan, you are speaking to me right now. My wife and I are like trying to like beating our heads against the wall about this. And so like, I wish I could just like duplicate myself and like, even if I don't know what to do there, like open up something and go, well, it's to me, it's like a hotel room, like a new news. It's like, ah, there's the, there's the bathroom right there. Where's the iron up oh, there? It is, you know? And, and just kind of say, oh, if you do this and this, and here's how you would think about it. And if you wanted to make a different decision, here's how you would know how to make that decision. And they're like, oh my God, that's like, you know, well, the courses don't teach you that. The click funnel course is like, oh, be the best Do You've got to do this. This method is terrible. YouTube ad sucks. Got to go Facebook. Facebook ad sucks. YouTube's going to change the world. Like it's just, it's this blind, uh, blind advice that is like, I call it like when I hire, if I've ever hired a person without context, like times. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would say like something that a person saw on a blog one time or that they did at their last job, right? Every situation is new. You can't, you can't approach a person with the same words and tone the same way every single person in your life. So we have to approach the situations we come across business, you know, with the same, with the same variety. Right. And, um, and so what's really, what's really cool about that, what you're saying there is that like, if only they 
if only um, that decision-making process was easier for people. And when you talk about SOPs, that really, that's such a good example because we talk about this constantly, like SOPs, like following SOPs, you're like reading a recipe card. But I want to teach people how to cook. You know, I want to teach people how to yeah. think about- Shout out to Urban. Like, be their own, yeah, their own Chef Ramsey. Because then what if they don't get that exact recipe next time? Because guess what? They won't, you know? That's that's the opportunity. The the a world of a world of practice of thinkers who can use their hands and the, and and create visualize something. You know that's that's a um, but what they're going to build and what they're going to create is going to be a little different next time. But they're still as confident, and that's trainable. It's hard, it's very hard. That's why we haven't scaled the company huge doing what we do. But it's it's a worthy pursuit, in my humble opinion. Everyone, John. De- yeah, <laughs> I've been jotting down a lot of notes in this podcast. So I hope the typing wasn't too loud. I kind of got the mic, the directional mic. Oh, you're good. The, the thing behind it, writing down notes. I talked over uh, it. So takeaways. That's good. That's good. Kyle, a couple bonus questions. Quick rapid fires. Have you ever heard of Alexander Shinora? No. Tell me. Well, I'm from Alabama. Uh, my whole life, I've lived here, and there is a personal injury attorney who has. Uh, I mean, I will just say like 5,000 billboards or something in the state. Uh, and yeah. like, it, there, there are drives where a hundred percent of the mind share, I would say you'll see like 10 billboards and they're yeah. all Alexander Shannara. Like he's spent a, an unreal amount of money on, wow. uh, like physical ad placement. Yeah. The yeah, website yeah. says we go to war for your family. That is, I've never seen that one before. That's, that's a statement. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a cool business, but um, if you ask anybody in the state of Alabama who's the personal injury attorney, they'll they'll say Alexander Shannara because of his just absolute uh, guerrilla marketing mm-hmm. campaigns that he's done. So I just want to know if you'd if you'd heard of him because maybe you know he, maybe no, he's not doing any PPC or. It, and I haven't gone to and I haven't been in Alabama before. I've been I've been in a number of states in the South, and uh, but you know I think what I would say on that is. Um, uh, there are, I've had a lot of calls, a lot of sales calls. I, I like talking to people. I like, like coming up with fun solutions and finding creative problems. And if I, if I had my, my way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be limited to just one thing that we have to scale to build a company. We did a lot of other marketing elements there, you know, sort of restaurant marketing apps, all sorts of stuff. And, um, what I what I always say when they hear stuff like this is if they is, as long as they're constantly assessing, right. And they got in the, and the guy is smart. He's got to be smart about a lot of things. Right. But he's got also smart people around him who understands the science of marketing to under and, and the science and the consumer acquisition. And it's got all these little signals and, and they're listening to know so that it doesn't creep up on them. If all of a sudden it stops being less effective, right. Of like, it doesn't surprise them one day when they're, when they're, there's their science client acquisition is significantly less. And you know what, that's, that's where there's a lot of times where I'll actually tell someone. No, I mean, like I've, I've turned down like seven figure, um, like long-term revenue deals over the fact that I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe that what we had was going to do it for them. And the truth is, is that this, this guy, if it's all over the state of Alabama, I've worked with, I've worked with attorneys in Alabama before in digital campaigns and stuff. And, um, and there might, there is a point where and it, and it could be measured, but even if though it's, it could be difficult uh, to do it in, in, um, in out-of-home marketing, but um, it could be measured, if theoretically measured, um, what the tipping point is for repetition and 
and not just branding, good branding, right? Like people say like, oh, you got to get your message out there 15, 20 times. Sometimes you only have to get it out there twice or even once, depending on the medium. And not all branding is created differently, right? The, the, uh, the quality of, we were at a, um, I was at a, a pro sports, a pro, uh, a pro hockey game, right? And um, here's the last story I'll tell, all right? But uh, we were at a pro hockey game uh, and, and it was, uh, and this, this uh, law firm was sponsoring that, that, that hockey team. Um, and so they were like the official law firm of in their category. And I was studying, I was studying all the placements there. And I don't, I didn't, I was studying it because I, they were my client. And I was super close with them. We like kind of helped build the business, to, like kind of build the business together because we went 100x their budget over a few years, right? Um, and it was like where they got most of their clients, but they were trying this out on this like this annual deal. So I'm sitting there going, I'm like, make sure you're creative. Make sure you, every seat in the stadium, you can see, you can, you can, you can see it that you're at, you can remember it, you can recall it, you can remember recall it. Um, you like, it's likable. Um, um, is it, can they remember how to contact you? If they're drinking a beer, yelling at, yelling at the refs, um, their text messages are going off, right? The attention that the, what happened was it wasn't a memorable number. It was a random number. The slogan wasn't easy to remember or didn't make a ton of sense. Um, it wasn't emotionally impactful. The font was hard to read. You couldn't read without my glasses, couldn't read some of them, couldn't read some of them. And uh, some of the placements and, and it was like, and I'm like, this is why it's not going to work. It's not the same. Yes. Maybe that one would have taken 50 times. They, they spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars. They don't think they signed a single client that year. Now I'm a, I'm a digital guy, right? I'm not running around selling, selling the auto home spots and, and uh, sponsorship packages, but the science is often, is often uh, treated when treated the same way with the same processing. Um, that also is like the, the science of great brand recognition. This guy, um, Alexander uh, uh, Shinara, I think I got it right. We go to work to your family, powerful statement. He could have had, the, he could have the best billboards in the industry. And maybe that's why he's winning and doesn't have to do digital the way that, that we know. Cool, cool uh, example. Thank you for sharing that. 100%, I'm still sticking with my story. 100% mind share in the state of Alabama. Yep, yep. I love it. Uh, Jordan, you've hinted at a couple things on the horizon for you. If people want to be in the know about who you are, what you're doing, and eventually when you do release training materials as well, besides just being an operating partner for teams on their digital ads, uh, where should people be keeping up with you? Sure. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is agency. Uh, no, see, so not Twitter handle. Uh, Instagram is uh, agency Jordan. And uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, Jordan Bell, if they see um, like advertising and, and uh, machine learning, that automation, that kind of stuff. Um, agencybell.com, uh, not live yet, but it may be around the time that most people, a lot of people are seeing this. Academybell.com is coming out soon. That's going to be the, uh, the, the sort of like the digital training academy there. So um, Agency Jordan, um, Agency Bell are both, um, both uh, Instagram handles. And then um, agencybell.com for a primary agency. Um, you know, we're going through a transition there, um, to other industries and then academybell.com is going to be our, our major, uh, training program, which is not live, but I guess, I, I guess I got to put a splash page up, uh, now that we've recorded this. <laughs> Thank you for Good that opportunity. Function. Jordan, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps up this conversation with Jordan from Agency Bell. A couple takeaways from me and then I'll send you to the next thing. 
The first one was I loved what he said at the beginning about how he has this confidence to close any pitch given enough time, given enough understanding of the clients, given kind of just the airtime to to make his point. I think that comes from both the evident intrinsic excitement he has about the subject matter and fascination. I think it's his energy that's contagious. And then, of course, I also do think it is the subject matter expertise uh, that he knows he can get the job done. So I thought that was like such an awesome attitude to approach any business sales environments with. Uh, Second is recurring theme. I've said this in a lot of podcast conclusions about just wanting to find out the truth. Capital T, capital R. Uh, You can make the whole word caps if you want. And then act with that information once you have the truth. In this case, that applies to understanding the true return on investment of advertising dollars. So until you have certainty about analytics, until you actually know you know, what's happening with your campaigns and if they're working, then without that information, you're not operating with the truth. You're just guessing. And that leads to suboptimal decision-making rather than operating based on true, absolute facts. Uh, so we've discussed the pursuits of the truth, both in terms of a lot of like spiritual episodes, a lot t- talking about like mental health and therapy and self-awareness, but also just in terms of, you know, self-awareness of a marketing strategy, if you'll allow the, the metaphor that when you are fully aware of where your dollars are going and if they're leading to business instead of just guessing and you can actually trace that entire funnel, you have a lot better information to act on. And that's just for someone with a super logical brain going to be a much better set of circumstances to live with. And then the final takeaway is about how Jordan just started out with a music business degree and is kind of doing the things he's doing now. I think in these interviews, we rarely feature a story that's you know straight line, that's predictable. It's really just a lot of people following curiosity, chasing opportunity, trying to do a good job at whatever's in front of them. Uh, again, it's just never that straight line. It's someone stumbling forward, continuously making progress and finding what excites them, finding what they're good at, finding what's needed in the world and just progressing continually, continuous progress, uh, continuous improvement. That's it from me for this conversation with Jordan. Check out him on LinkedIn. Check out his website. He gave you a lot of resources. If you're curious, if you need help scaling whatever it is that you're doing, I would encourage you to Learn more about our sponsor, Vasa. You can have a free consultation with them to discuss if a virtual assistant might be a good addition to your team. Otherwise, just, you know, standard standard asks from a podcast host. Subscribe if you want to see more from us. Share this episode with someone who'd like it or just scroll down wherever you're listening and enjoy another conversation from yours truly. Thanks for listening. Grateful to you for spending time with me today and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.